You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Team previews rolling on. Obviously, I'm Jeremy here. If you don't know who it is, that's me, Matt, who uh, are Fresno State. And what are you? What, what else do we say? Top 50 countdown writer and watch list season person? <laughs> I, 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 I wear many hats in this offseason, yeah. Trying to trying to keep the content fresh for our, for our many followers on social media. For our many website visitors, mwwire.com. Check it out there. Yes, we got a top 50 countdown going on. We have, like I said, what was a Maxwell season list started today? Or I guess Maxwell list released um, on, what's say, July 19th we're recording? Yep, uh, we're recording on the 19th. So by the time you hear this, the Davey O'Brien Award should be out. I believe the Dibletnikov Award. I don't have the exact order in front of me. But basically, if you're hearing this anytime within late July to early August, you're right smack dab in the middle of watch list season. So, Make sure to keep an eye on, on the website every single day because I will be keeping track of who is getting nods and where. Is there a long snapper award? Uh, ooh, you, you know what? Yes, there is the Patrick Manley award. That's right. Oh, because you put out there, give this guy the, the UNLV snapper, give him the mm-hmm. award. Hit yeah, and, that, and, and the San Diego State guy, I think, was a finalist last year, Turner yeah. Bernard. They're all special teams are part of football, as we know, sometimes. I don't give it the appreciation it deserves at times. That is correct. But today, San Jose State football, we're mm-hmm. talking about the Spartans. we got a fun tweet or some social thing we're going to bash and have fun with. So we got the Spartans who, can I just say, is it okay he's literally came out of nowhere to win the conference title last year? Is that safe to say? Do you approve? I mean, I don't, know that a, I don't know that it does it justice, though. More? It's not enough. So because here's so here's the thing. Like if you if you actually go back and look at how they performed in 2019, you know they were not that far away from winning two or three more games. Like I, I don't remember their exact win loss record, but I believe it was like below 500. You yeah, know, they, they were five and seven. Like they they still had work to do, kind of around the edges. Like the running game was was still mostly a non-factor from week to week. The defense still gave up many big plays, but, you know, they were out there, you know, winning rivalry games against Fresno State, giving Boise State a run for their money. 
you know, doing a lot of really positive things to give you an indication of, of, of the possibility, at least, that they could take the next step. And, you know, I guess maybe this is sort of a, an allusion to one of the questions that we got from, from our, from one of our Boise State guys, Colin, mm. who was asking, you know, do they regress to the mean or do they have another outlier season despite a West, a tough West division? We'll get there. We'll 2020 we wasn't an outlier season though. Yeah. It, there was nothing, there was nothing about the season that was a fluke. They made real improvements on both sides of the ball. I mentioned it when we, when we recorded our Air Force podcast recently about, you know, net points per drive. The only other time, and, the, and I think, uh, you know, this Brian Primo's database, I think, stretches back like about 10 or 12 years or something like that. The only other time that San Jose State finished in the, with a positive net points per drive was when they won 11 games back in 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, on offense, they were, you know, a top 50 team. On defense, they were a top 20 team best overall net figure in the conference. You know, they had a tremendous pass rush. They got, you know, better quarterback play than I think either of us would have expected going into last year. They made good on all the potential that they had. And, you know, where they were unlucky two years ago, last year there really wasn't a lot of doubt. You know, because every single game that they won, save for for the bowl game at the very end of the year where they were missing a lot of key pieces – don't forget, every single one of their wins last year was by at least 10 points. I think the record is where it's coming from, not how they played. Because, and, because they were really quick. They were eight points away from winning three more games the year before. Mm-hmm. Because they lost to Nevada by three, UNLV by three, Hawaii by two. They nearly beat Boise State, lost by 10. I remember that San Diego State game at halftime. I remember still thinking about, like, they're knocking around the offensive and defensive line Aztecs. Like, 10 po- at 10-point games, that's that they'd win them all, but there's five games they were in the neighborhood to win. The only game they were not close to was Air Force and Tulsa. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and I mean, I think that if you if you narrow the question a little bit or modify the question, you know, are they going to regress to the mean or do they have another outlier season? First of all, if they win again, it's not going to be an outlier because, yes, we've talked about it nearly every week. The West Division is going to be a, a, a tough draw week in and week out. But I, I see no reason to expect why the Spartans won't be in the mix again. And while, you know, there are some kind of, you know, narrowly defined regressions to the mean that are definitely on the table, which we'll talk about throughout the course of the podcast, you know, don't be shocked if they're back in the conference championship game. Like, this is a team that has built a, a very strong culture. They've cultivated a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. And even though they aren't without questions to address going into the season, they're going to be right there. They're going to be a factor. I I want to say yes, but it's the stupid history thing. They, they barely won ever. They've had two great seasons in like a 10-year stretch. You know what I mean? I, do, I get like, what you're saying. And that's why hard, I think their, their ability to, to keep Brent Brennan huge. is a tremendous positive for them. And not only that, you know, I think you also have to give a lot of credit to the coordinators who put in a lot of tremendous work. Like they've, they've benefited from continuity in a lot of different places. You know, I think Brian Gunderson, the quarterback coach left for UCLA, but other than that, I believe the staff is almost entirely intact. So, you know, Brennan of course is the, is the guy who sets the tone, you know, you know wears the, the flashy suits, you know, has the, the, the positive attitude, and the catchy slogans, but, you know, Kevin McGiven has been out there, you know, working, you know, I, I don't want to say working miracles, but he's definitely earned his paycheck yeah, I will, out no. with, with the talent that he's been able to. And Derek Odom, 
maybe you know maybe I would I would venture to say the more anonymous of the two going into 2021. You know, he's built a reputation for himself, too, because, you know, the, a lot of the star talent that we're seeing come to the forefront, it wasn't like they came out of nowhere. You know, it was about a bunch of guys taking a big step forward. It is, but it, it's not – It's I say it's kind of out of nowhere because they've been – they were so bad, people were talking like, kick them out of the league. They're that bad. I mean, they if were, you say that historically, yes. I mean, I know that I wrote that article. I think it was ah, – I forget how long ago it was now, like 18 months or two years ago or something let, like that. Let, let me – well, here's a 2017 schedule. I just randomly picked the year. They lose to South Florida by 20. Texas 56-0. Utah 54-16. Utah State 61-10. 41-13 at UNLV. 41-20 at BYU, 52-7 San Diego State, 59-14, 42-14 Nevada, Colorado State. That's pitiful. I mean, if you look at it in the historic <laughs> sense, then yes, they came out of nowhere. But if you look at what was actually accomplished from year to year, especially within Brennan's tenure, I think that changes the answer quite a bit. It does, because I look at 2018, Now I might could go through the whole schedule, but there were plenty, like a 31-0 loss, 52-3. <clears throat> But your point is perfectly said. I think it's almost, I don't want to say more impressive, but the improvement from 18 to 19 was huge because, yeah, five games, but every game was close but one. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, it's it's like what we said to UNLV a couple years ago. Like, well, they keep losing, not as bad. They finally get better with Sanchez. They still didn't get, like, the stink at the stupid Howard game, whatever kind of ruined a lot of things for them. But they're not, it's not that they came out of nowhere. It's that the improvement was possibly more drastic from 18 to 19 because, hey, in 19, we could figure out we're close. We're not super far off. Yeah. We're not getting blown out. And then 2020, yeah, going undefeated, that's the anomaly, I think, not that the wins were there. Mm-hmm. And the bowl game, lose half their coaches, all these players for COVID reasons and contact tracing. Yeah, they lose. They don't play Fresno. They get a rematch for Boise State that first time never came or came to be. I, you're, We can both be correct on this saying their improvement – was shown from 18 to 19 to 20. Mm-hmm. But then again, going undefeated from five wins five, to losing record to winning record, that's where I think the people are like, well, can they do that again? Well, of course not. They're not going to go undefeated again. But, like, taking a step back, eight and four for them would still be amazing if that's what the record ends up being. Mm-hmm. Should we get to this year? Yeah, let's do it. Should we get to the uh, most important player returning on the team that almost left and didn't leave and decided to stay? I mean, you could say that about any number of players. Uh, I'm just saying that Nick Starkle. He's pretty okay. good. Okay, well, we could, we, start, we could start with quarterback. We usually we, do. And that's the point. That's why I figured it's an easy way to go to it. I don't recall. Was there a chance he was going to leave? I don't think that was the case. I mean, I, I would imagine for someone like him who was already, I believe, a senior, you know, the, the decision I, I would imagine would have mostly come down to where – you know, NFL scouts or, or NFL personnel saw his future relative to, to other quarterbacks in the class. But, you know, but if that wasn't the case and, and like a, a number of other individuals and, and like a number of other teams throughout the conference, if, if just groups of players decided they wanted to come make one last go of it, then, you know, more power to them. You know, if, if the NCAA has given them the, the super senior year, you might as well take advantage of it and run it back and see if you can do this all over again. For him, because I don't know how much of an NFL guy he really is, and who cares? We don't care about the NFL here all that much. He played amazing last year. He third school. Should we get to the message of what was sent, the stup- stupidity of people on social media or dumb? Yeah, we could talk about that for a moment. 
Do you, we discussed before? Did you find out who sent that, or did we care? No, I mean I don't know if it matters that much. It was kind of a stupid Instagram post, but the idea was was essentially somebody put some post out there about you know the worst SEC quarterbacks that every team has had since I think it was 2010, and somehow Starkle ended up as the pick for both Arkansas and Texas A&M. And, and I was wondering, like, if they saw what happened, you know, elsewhere in the Chad Morris years in Fayetteville. Or when San Jose State beat Arkansas. Or, or if they ever watched Trevor Knight <laughs> at Texas A&M. But, you know, to, to that post's point, I think, if, you know, if you balanced kind of the, the track record that the, that the Spartans coaching staff had built for themselves in the three years prior – versus what you had seen from Starkle, you know, year in and year out for like the first three years of his collegiate career. It was definitely up and down. You know, his first uh, but, you know, his first year as a starter at AM was not that bad though, which is where, you know, that part of the post in particular didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um but I I could see where you might wonder, okay, well is is he going to be the guy to to come in and be as effective as Josh Love was? You know, now you look back at the season, and the, you know, he throws for you know twenty one hundred yards, completes sixty four percent of his passes, seventeen touchdowns against just seven interceptions. The answer is an emphatic yes. You know, he was the the perfect engineer for what this offense needed. Here's the funny thing too. I don't have the final score here for some reason. I'm looking at his game log from Texas A and M. I guess it's their bowl game when they played Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. He was 42-63, 499 yards, four touchdowns as a pick, and they lost the game. That doesn't seem like it's an issue with him, right? <laughs> I mean, like can you imagine going from, from Kevin Fit. Sumlin to Chad Morris to Brent Brennan now? 55-52 that game, if you're wondering. So like you, like you, you would have raised an eyebrow at that progression of head coaches a couple of years ago, but you, you won't now because – you know, I don't even know what Chad Morris is doing anymore. And Kevin Sumlin just got just got fired from Arizona over the offseason. So I think it's it, like I said, it speaks to the to the coaching staff. I think that Starkle was able to step in, and the offense didn't really miss a beat. Yeah, because we saw it loved it. I remember watching they played University of Utah. He had that knee injury at halftime. Like he was the San Jose State wasn't going to be Utah because the defense was too good, and then. It wasn't going to happen. But that first half, it was like, I recall, like a one-score game, a close game. He was lighting up Utah secondary because mm-hmm. all they do is man coverage no matter what. Even if Coach Woody Hand is stubborn and they're getting beat, he'll still stick with it. And he was beating those DBs who are probably in the NFL right now. I don't know if it was – I can't think of any names at the moment, but they were guys who were in the NFL from that position. He was torching them apart, going deep, finding guys down downfield open. Mm-hmm. And But he came in. We weren't sure because we were talking about Nick Nash, too. Like he would come in, maybe run the ball dual threat guy to get split time, which rarely happened, if ever. Like, it was only a handful of plays here or there. But the post is done because, first off, Alabama's pretty good in SEC, right? Mm-hmm. And freaking Arkansas, as we pointed out before, has never won an SEC title. So it's like, how are you going to put on him, like, the worst guy since 2010 when, if you look at the years outside of their Cotton Bowl year 2011, they've had, um, what, three winning records, three winning seasons? Apologies to our games. old acquaintance, Chris Turner, by the way, if he happens to be listening to this. He's the only Arkansas fan that I know. Chris, maybe you are. I hope you're doing well in your um, radio. I think he's doing news radio in Missouri at the moment back there. Because he did Hawaii coverage for us, went to University of Missouri. So he's a diehard SEC guy too, maybe, right? Both teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my point being, like, who cares? It's freaking 
Arkansas, they've been trashed in college football forever. They were pretty good, like, in the late 80s to 2000. Like, they never won an SEC title. I don't even know how many Southwest Conference titles they won. They're more famous probably for having Lou Holtz as one of their head coaches back in the 80s. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Texas A&M, maybe. But look how many quarterbacks they went through. I forget who they played. Like, Texas A&M played South Carolina, like, week, like the first game in the SEC Network, and the guy was like, he's going to win the Heisman. He beat up on South Carolina. He ended up being trash and garbage. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what. Probably the year after Nick Starkle was there or whatever, 2018. But the post is dumb because it's just somebody to pick on because you transferred thir- or two times, three mm-hmm. schools. But who has the last laugh? Yeah, he, he, what would – I don't know what would you rather have, but look at what he did for a program. It wasn't all just him, but he comes in and plays extremely well and best quarterbacks in the conference. You're in Arkansas, there's no, no talent there. Texas a and Texas probably should be better. But when I point out that final game he had – he was never given the chance to be the starter the next year, really. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, whatever. It's just a dumb thing to, I don't know. It's like, oh, make one of the guys transfer twice. Oh, he's a two-time guy, worst quarterback ever. They probably just saw he played on two teams. Played on two teams. And go, Let's put him in there because the record wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Despite when he actually played well at Texas A&M, the defense was trash. And that should be more concerning if you're a, well, Texas A&M fan. Defense is kind of the thing or used to be. But mm-hmm. it's just stupid, right? It's dumb. Yeah. So Nick Sharkle got your back, right? Exactly. <laughs> and he has a conference title, which neither Texas A&M or Arkansas can say in their respective conferences ever. That is true. Ever. Ever. Just say it. I don't care if A&M's been there for 10 years. <laughs> what else about the quarterback? Like, what? The quarterback position is deep. Carson Strong was our player of the year first team. You have Nick Sharkle. You have um, – I went through the whole list here. Who? Um, I'm not blanking on all these guys, but – He's up there as one of the best quarterbacks, but it's going to be quite a few. Mm-hmm. I don't. Is he going to be better than Carson Strong? Probably not, just because of what they do. But he's going to be a top three quarterback minimum in the whole league. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of where he set the floor. And I think more importantly for the Spartans, they learned that they can win without him too last year, where you know he got banged up in that game against San Diego State, and Nash, who, who you mentioned a minute ago, came in and, and basically led them to come from behind victory off the bench. And, you know, obviously Nash brings a different skill set. He's de- he's definitely more of a runner than Starkle is typically. But, you know, you look at what he's done over the past two seasons combined, and you're looking at a guy who's completed well over 60% of his passes mm-hmm. and also averages about five, five and a half yards per carry, bef- you know, before adjusting for sacks. That's pretty good backup quarterback material. And so, like, if if he gets, you know, thrust into another kind of situation like that, I think that they can feel better that the offense isn't necessarily going to fall off a cliff if Starkle happens to get banged up again at any point. Yeah, it's the, their bench is good. Like, I mean, they can win out him, but I still obviously prefer Starkle over Nash because Nash kind of – he's a different type of QB as well a little bit because mm-hmm. he, he runs a little bit a little bit more mobile. But that can also throw teams a bit when they're preparing for Nick Starkle. And, oh, crap, this other guy comes in who we rarely prepared for. Because he came in as well, wasn't 100% Starkle every game. Mm-hmm. Occasionally here and there, Nick Nash would come in for not many plays, but he'd come in here or there just to mix things up and just kind of, hey, defense, what do you got? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was that's an area, too. I don't think they do more of it, but it's an area of one of the, of all the teams in the league. There's very few teams that have, like, two quarterbacks. Okay, we're good, because Boise probably has two quarterbacks. Um, Air Force will need two at some point. San Diego State has nothing. Um, Hawaii just has the one to see on Cordero, New Mexico. We'll see if it's, oh, was it Terry Wilson from Kentucky? But as for like two quarterbacks, there's not many 
Wyoming has it as well. But it's like three teams that could say, well, for starters, is able to play for a little bit, we'll probably be okay. Mm-hmm. As far as your number one in the West, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you're going to make the case that there's improvement to be made, it's like very much on like the the micro level, let's say, because mm-hmm. you know if you look at, for example, and I think this is sort of a reflection of the you know a larger wrinkle that, given the amount of wins that they piled up last year, may have gotten overlooked a little bit, but you know uh, they only converted fifty percent of their red zone opportunities into touchdowns last year. And, you know, while Starkle was, you know, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, so he wasn't making, like, the obvious mistakes in there, he only completed 50% of his passes as well. And so if you compare that to some of the other quarterbacks who saw uh, a, a big number of opportunities, like, you know, that, and it's not to say that that's not something that other quarterbacks in the conference can improve on, but I think if you're looking for that little extra edge, you know, you'd think that, you know, as good as they were last year, they may have left some things on the table. And, yeah. and if they can work that out where, you know, and again, you talk about incremental improvements. If he's completing 60% of his passes instead of 50 and, you know, taking a similar kind of care of the football, you know, that makes him maybe the most lethal quarterback in the conference if he can make that improvement. I guess so if you, because we got Carson Strong has to fade to Cole Turner every time. That's always yeah. right there. So, but you're right. If you get even just a little bit better in that red zone, and part of it too, like I don't like that. Like looking at what he does down the field, like eight and a half yards attempt is right behind like Jay Kaner. There's more than catch Car- and run though. Yeah, yeah, more than Carson Strong, which you would think if it's catch and run, why like why can't those passes work in the red zone as well? Mm-hmm. I guess the, the obviously the field's less room to defend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, less room to defend. So guys are there. So if you're doing a little swing pass or a shortish shortish pass, but you'd still think if your pass like. Say it's catch and run, it's a four-yard catch, you would still do a couple of those to get in the end zone. But mm-hmm. just tweak with the offense, do a couple plays here or there. You have Tyler Nevins of the year running back to do a few more things. But, yeah, get a slightly better because the normal percentage is, like you said, just it's, what, 64%? Mm-hmm. And so it's – there's no no concern. But you, if we want to find something to really nitpick, right, to get to where, hey, work on this. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're looking for a more kind of – I don't want to say glaring. I feel like that's not necessarily the most accurate word. But if you're looking for something that's like a potential red flag for the offense, it's how real was the improvement with the running game last year? Mm. Because it, it, I think the answer varies depending on how you slice it. Because there was that midseason surge in that, and especially in that three game stretch, you know, home versus UNLV at Hawaii, you know, and then. The, the neutral game site against, uh, against Nevada to end the year, or to try right. the regular season. Albert, they averaged right. over six yards a carry in those three games. But, you know, outside of that stretch, they failed to crack four yards per carry. You know, they, they scuffled against Air Force. They scuffled against San Diego State. You know, they scuffled on the ground against Boise State. And again, some of that doesn't have, you know, some of that is adjusted a little bit for, for sacks, but that doesn't necessarily explain the entire picture, which we'll get to that more in a minute when we talk about the offensive line. So I think that, you know, you all of a sudden you look at the running game, and I think we were both on the same page that Starkle's going to be fine, mm-hmm. but I still want to see a little more from that duo of Tyler Nevins and Kyrie Robinson. Yeah, because Nevins, you mentioned those two games, he averaged 7.8 per carry, but only 66 attempts, but it's this game stretch where he had a ton of carries, like 15 
carries versus Hawaii, nine nine and a half yards attempt. Not, not only that, they had, he had a he had a handful of really big runs yeah. in that stretch that yeah. I think skews the overall figures and makes I, I would say makes the per carry average a little bit deceptive because you know even with it, I think they were still only like you know fourth in the conference you know and far way far behind some of the other teams that, that tend to be a little more run heavy like Air Force and Wyoming. Well, let's so, just say this: two games in those two games, Hawaii Nevada hit well almost over two thirds of his yards. Yeah, so I mean, obviously they were able to get by without it. You know, with a with a very efficient passing game all, that that never really took any breaks all year long. Okay, <laughs> but you know, I think you know, given the the questions at wide receiver, which again we'll get to that in a minute as well, that I think makes those two maybe the most important people on the offense because it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago, like going back to 2019, oh, we at the very beginning. Oh, terrible! They scuffled big time that year, and I think. You know that you know, rather than years. rather than the incremental improvements that we talked about with Starkle, I think it's just a matter of taking another step forward all the way around. But it's also the average one rushing touchdown per game. Yeah. So they put eight games, eight touchdowns compared to okay, I don't want to use the Air Force. That's a bad example. Even Wyoming, not the best example of what they do, but sixteen and six games. New Mexico twelve and seven. Their rushing was. Only only team worse was Utah State, who had four touchdowns in six games mm. for converting touchdowns. That's not everything, but something to look at when Fresno State had 12 TDs in six games or Boise 13 and seven. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, here, here's the comp you want to look at. We talked, about, we talked about Nevada already. And I think you know that is sort of like the flip side of, of where the stats can sometimes deceive you a little bit. Because... You know, Nevada actually was worse on a pair of carry basis, 4.3 yards, and they only scored seven touchdowns on the ground. But I don't know if anybody outside of, outside of the San Jose State fan base would say that Nevada's running game wasn't better, wasn't in better shape or, or maybe a, a bigger strength for that offense going into 2021. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's their biggest improvement they can make, right? I think. Yeah, I would say so. Or at least. Especially since, you know, other, other analysts have pointed out that, you know, where they were pat, really pass heavy in the Josh Love years, they started to get a little more balanced last year. And that could be Nick Starkle, or excuse me, Nick Nash going there a little bit. But the numbers, like we look at the yards per game, it's like you mentioned, it's fine. But that there's a couple games stretched about Hawaii skews it wildly where if they were to get the exact same production, even out almost, They'd be even better almost, even mm-hmm. if they maybe get another touchdown here or there. Because 4.49 is not bad. That's fine. But, like, even they get 4.55 or just like a half yard of carry or so, get closer to five or even four point, just a little bit. Well, and that's or, why I'm wondering. Like, just a little bit. That's all it is. Just a little bit. And this sort of leads into another question that we got from, from one of our Twitter followers about, you know, with being such like a veteran team, are there young guys that could potentially break through? 
And I'm thinking about a guy like Shamar Garrett as maybe the first example of someone who could take on a bigger role. Obviously, I think we saw him more as a kick returner last year. Um, and, and maybe Nevada fans are shuddering about <laughs> about remembering mm-hmm. how that game really turned on his kick six against the Wolfpack last year. Yep. But, you know, if if San Jose State finds himself in a situation where, you know, Nevins and Robinson are, are, are scuffling a little bit, maybe they do give Garrett a few more touches per game because they want to see what he can do with the ball in his hands. Well, when he played versus New Mexico, he had – what, uh, two two rushes, fourteen yards, and what mm-hmm. three, two catches, twenty seven yards. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily game. his primary responsibility. Yeah, like, that's his best game. There's a chance for him to carve out a role for himself. Yeah, just yeah. So look at look at his numbers. He didn't play every game. As look at his primary from scrimmage numbers. There, actual offensive plays, not special teams. But favorite third guy, just do a little bit more. Like he could be a clear potential breakout guy. But like Harry Robinson, the guys above him, Nevins are there. It never hurts to have depth. Like, if he gives them, what, five carries in game and gets, like, 25, 20 yards a game, mm-hmm. like, average throughout, like, he gets, what, 50 carries for the year, 60 carries, and gets 300 or 400 yards, that's a good supplement guy who gets almost five yards a game. If, uh, five yards might be a bit much to ask, but give me anywhere from three to six carries and almost 20 yards a game. Mm-hmm. That's probably fine. Average, that's probably fine. And he'll break through here and there because if he, like you mentioned, return game, what he can do. If he catches a swing pass on the backfield or gets space on the sweep, that could allow for like a huge run. And they mm-hmm. have, and like what Nevins did last year, those couple of games were I don't have the exact yardage like those big plays, but give him that room and go for it. Like I'm not saying he'll do it, but he has the potential to do it as coming in as a what still a freshman technically second year player. However you want to spin it, spin it out there. There, there's potential. That's that's a good good catch to see who could be one of those guys who could step up to. He might have a game where he goes eight for seventy five, like, well maybe not that much, but so, you know, I mean something pretty big with like a forty yard run, six carries and like fifty five yards and mm-hmm. a touchdown. Like that something would be beneficial for them. And he's a guy who I could see that happening where he's one game, and then other games he's quiet like three for twelve. Yeah, I could see that too. It's it's. I'm going all over the place. But so he's a third running back. What do you expect from him? You'll see some guys who have one big game. Like, that's why I was going through game by game. Whereas the Mexico game, well, it was a fairly close game, 17 points, and he played reasonably well what opportunities opportunities he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another part of that question sort of makes for a really nice pivot toward talking about the wide receivers because I think if you're looking for another position – maybe the position on this year's Spartans team where young guys could step up and, and take on a bigger role, it's definitely this. Because, you know, Trey Walker's gone to the NFL, so is Bailey Gaither. And and Chris Benini of the Athletic pointed out that those two combined for 56% of San Jose State's receiving yards in 2020. They did about 1,400 yards. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're doomed, but it means that you know a number of guys are going to have to step up to fill the breach, and and some of the faces are some of the names are, are a little more recognizable than others. But I think there's going to be so hit five touchdowns led the team. So there's that five Isaiah. catches on twenty touchdowns or ah. twenty catches. Excuse me, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be impressive. Uh, but Isaiah Hamilton, he's coming. Be there, Kyrie Robinson out of the backfield. Nineteen catches was fourth on the team. So that's where that's where the running game, could, running backs could come into play, especially him, and maybe mm-hmm. that's where Garrett can get go from four to fifteen. 
Can Let we talk her... more about Isaiah Hamilton for a moment? Of course. I'm just bouncing around. What do you want to talk about him? He's pretty good. 16 yards a catch. Uh, and, and, you know, looking back at 2020, I was sort of surprised that he didn't see as many targets as, as I expected. Maybe that, maybe that was a consequence of, of Gaither and, and Walker being so explosive on the outside. But I think he's a he's a name to to for for other Mountain West fan bases to know because you know even though he hasn't he's been kind of like the the third option in the in the, in the Spartans' offense over the last couple of years. When you look at what he did between 2019 and 2020, mm-hmm. you know you're looking at a guy who's you know 56 catches, 924 yards. That's a 16 and a half yard per catch average. And he's also scored six touchdowns as well. So, like, if you were to put those two seasons together, like, that's pretty good. And now he's being asked to step up into one of the more primary roles. It would not shock me if he put up a a, a Gaither or a Walker-type line this year. I think if I were looking for anybody in this unit to do it, it's probably him. Well, look at 2018. Then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just – we can talk more about the other names in a minute if you had some well, no, I was good. No, no, I'll just say about him, about 2019, he was the 43 catches, four TDs, more than Trey Walker, right there, like 700 yards. Like you mentioned, the combined bid, 43 for 718, third leading receiver. Like, why can't he do what Trey Walker did a couple years ago with, like, almost 80 catches and 1,000 yards? Exactly. And that was and, with Josh Love and Nick Starkles, as good or better. And while it wasn't necessarily in a situation that, that they wanted to have to deal with, you know the fact that the Arizona Bowl ended up playing the way that playing out the way that it did. You know maybe that works to this team's benefit in the long run because we got to see some more of those options when when the when the names at the top were all of a sudden you know missing in action. So you know Jermaine Braddock, you know Isaiah Holiness, Andre Crump, those are three guys right there who saw a lot of playing time in that bowl game, and it would not shock me. Like I I I don't know that there's necessarily room for for more than one all conference type performer, but it would not shock me if they ended up being able to spread the ball around to those four guys, and you know three of them end up catching somewhere between like thirty and forty catches for you know four hundred to five hundred yards something like that. I don't think this necessarily needs to be the most explosive offense, the you know the big play offense. As long as it's efficient, I think that's really what they were after last year, and I think there's plenty of potential for them to do that again. Because, like I said, we may not be familiar with all the names, but that doesn't mean they don't have the ability to step up and replace the guys that are that are missing now. And Mitch Jermaine Braddock in the bowl game, touchdown four catches. There you go. Back, back up tight end Dominic Mezzotti. Like, they could get two all-conference guys, tight end receiver can fledge a little bit. Mm-hmm. Derek Deese, which it's difficult with um, what Colorado State has, what other teams have at tight end. That'll be Trey McBride. That'll be tough to get around because there's some pretty good tight ends. But you have him. You have a good backup. Mazzotti, Brodick had the good bowl game. You have what Walk, well, Walker's gone. But, like, Isaiah Hamilton, yeah, whatever, did okay. Still had the 25-yard catch in the bowl game. It's You're right. I think that's the main thing about the unit where Hamilton is a known name. He just wasn't a huge star last year. But the year before, and, like, how many player teams don't have a 40-plus? Your third, your third receiver have 40-plus catches. Mm-hmm. And in a year you went freaking five and seven. Yeah, I think if I'm going to accurately answer that question now, if you're looking for a deep cut that might be worth keeping your eye on and see to see how he does in fall camp, I keep an eye on Malachi Miller. Okay. Sophomore from Oakland, 6'4", 195. Okay. Which okay. is a very different kind of target than what than what you know Gaither, than what Gaither and Walker brought to the table. 
and, yeah, and so, you know, him and, and Donald McKinney, who was a, a JUCO transfer, I believe, in their most recent uh, recruiting class, you know, McKinney's also 6'3", 195, so they could give him a couple bigger targets to take shots down the field, which wasn't necessarily an, an element of the offense that they needed a lot of, but if they find ways to make use of it going into 2021, that could give them a different element to attack defenses with it, you know, it, that would be hard to prepare for just looking at film from last year's team. Yeah, it'll, it's um, it's a unit. I think you sound perfectly. We know a couple names, but the going to three or four deep, we'll figure out number two and three because people know Hamilton. I don't think yeah. he's a secret. It's just he wasn't Walker and Gaither last year. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a good unit and like tight end Derek Deese. This will be, yeah, it'll be the running game is the big concern. So let's go to the offensive line because that's obviously going to help with the running game. The sack rate, keeping the quarterbacks upright, don't get injured, don't have injuries, keep the consistent units. That's an area where it's dumb as it is, it's like the most important position just about because if you don't have time to throw a run, well, sucks to be you, right? You're running for your life with your head cut off, and here comes Dick Nash trying to make something happen. Well, and it helps that they're bringing all five starters back. That's right. They have, yeah, basically, no, they do have everybody back. Sorry, I was looking at something wrong else. Yeah, they bring back. What, Kyle Hope, Hopi, Tyler Stephen, everybody's back. All five guys off a unit where maybe, man, I'm thinking about it. Like, my record, it might be a Fresno State situation again where I'm like, oh, shoot, maybe I need to make some adjustments here. <laughs> well, and, and Jack Snyder, I think, is the guy who's received a lot of offseason buzz. I think it was it was uh, Pro Football Focus who, I, I forget the exact parameters, so so forgive me that I don't remember this accurately. But he was, I think, one of the top returning players in the Mountain West, um, just by virtue of the, of, according to their grading system, you know, he made a huge jump from his junior to his, to his senior year. Now he, like Starkle, he's one of those guys who's back as a super senior. But you know, he, I think, it sort of does a disservice to the other guys. You mentioned Hoppy and Stevens, Jamie Navarro, and, and Trevor Robbins and Jesse Chamberlain, you know, those are six guys right there who have all seen playing time over the last couple of years. And it's a really a testament, I would say, to the fact that they've really worked well as a unit. You know, going back to, you know, how well they worked with Starkle in particular, you know, I think maybe if there's one thing to keep an eye on is, are they going to be as good at protecting the quarterback again this year? Because, you know, their, their 2.2 sack rate, their sack rate, uh, excuse me, 2.2% sack rate allowed. That's what I meant to say. Okay, that's pretty good. Was sixth nationally. Yeah, solid, very good. <laughs> and I and I think that it helps that, that continuity matters in a case like that. But, you know, going back to the earlier conversation about the running game, I think there's still work to be done because you can't necessarily pin all that kind of underperformance on the runners. So by line yards per carry, for example, they were only 100th across the country last year. You know, opportunity rate, which is just getting runners to the second level. They were 90th. Power success rate, short yardage situations, 124th. Mm. And, and 103rd in stuff rate. So, you know, their runners, despite the success that, that Nevins and Robinson had in that stretch, you know, there was long stretches where it was sort of a continuation of what we had seen a couple of years before. That, like, I... You kept telling me they'll be good, they'll be great. I'm like, ah, oh, we'll see. It's 90 to 10. I, I think, think they will be good, but I think there's still work to be done, especially yeah. with the running game. And I think that falls on both mm-hmm. the runners and the offensive line. It does, but I, I didn't research. I'm like, before, I'm like, oh, whatever. They'll get what it be fine. They'll be okay. But 
losing the top. Like my concern, I guess, offensively would be running game, and I want to say receivers a little bit because it's still difficult to replace that type of talent in production. Yeah. And so what we say, well, just some other name will step up. When have they really ever done that to some guy step up? Like Nick Starkle from Josh Love, you know what I mean? Maybe a couple mm-hmm. running backs. Like that is a concern. I see where there's room. I'm, not, I'm like if you kind of pull open the keyhole a little bit, like, okay, I see some room there where that could happen. I'm just may not be 100% sold it's going to happen. However, if you have a quarterback as good as Nick Starkle also, Starkle, like, again, it's dumb to say, but you get another full offseason to prepare to come in and play because – he was there in 2019. Like, what was what was 2018? It was Josh Love? Mm-hmm. I mean, he comes in 2019, or excuse me, 2019, 20. He had no off season to practice and prepare, and look what he did. Now imagine what he has to get into with new receivers. Like that, it goes it goes for every team. It's not to say this is a special scenario. Like with returning talent, every team has returning talent. It's how it'll be used. But I think in this case, for how good he was last year. The offensive line's all back. My, my big concern in offense is more consistent running game because it's been garbage outside of last year. It hasn't been very good for the most part. Like, that's all the joke we made. Well, they're going to have negative yards per carry, it seems like, for the rushing mm-hmm. attack. But that's my big thing, consistent running game, which I'm more confident in that just because we know, we know who's there than the receiving game. But I'm also not, not confident, if that makes sense. That I know a receiver is going to step up because I think Hamilton will be the guy. Derek Peace will be there. You have Kyrie Robinson. He'll probably, maybe he'll get, like he had, what, 19 catches in, in eight games. That's what, three, two to three game? That mm-hmm. could end up being like almost, like a full season, almost 30 catches, like double, almost double his output. So 40 catches. So if your running back gets 40 catches, that's a pretty big deal. It'll be there. I just don't know who it is, and that's where I'm still a little bit hesitant of what the offense could be. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Because there's a reason oh, I don't want to – that's fair. all. Because, yeah. You ready for defense? Let's do it. Oh, boy. They have some players coming back. They have our preseason defensive player of the year, correct? Mm-hmm. That is In correct. Kate Hall, linebacker. Or, wait, sorry. Is he technical linebacker? He's you a made, defensive end. Sorry, you're, you do a good job of all the positions, flex inside linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive end. So – Whatever. He's <laughs> defensive player of the year. I say linebacker, but defensive end, that's what he officially is. And he was one of the guys who did not play in the bowl game last year. Mm-hmm. You had him, you have a couple coaches. So what is your – let's just start with his position, like the defensive line, defensive end. Like for with them coming back, you have Villani Fajoko as well. Kate Hall, clearly. Um, they need a new nose tackle, essentially. But Kate Hall is like – He's going to be the sack king of the conference again, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I when, it, when it comes to Hall in particular, if you were paying attention, you saw this coming. Because, you, you know, coming? two years ago he had like four and a half sacks. Or, or three, excuse me, three years ago, in 2018. And then I think the year before, or the year after that, he had eight sacks. So, you know, him jumping to be a defensive player of the year caliber type guy was sort of like a natural progression, I would say. I think, you know, that's not to say he was, he was like, had a lot of company in that regard. I think, you know, Fahoko's emergence was definitely more of a pleasant surprise. You know, the fact that they finished one and two in, in the Mountain West in terms of like sacks. Um, I don't think anybody would have seen that coming. I mean, I, I could have seen Paul taking a step forward. I always thought he kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But I did not expect him to get you know bookended by by another pass rushing force. I think and, with Hall, 
with Hall, it was the sack that went up where he had very few sacks with the TFLs. Mm-hmm. And then the sack went up to 10 and then whatever else he had in TFL. Sorry, I don't have in front of him. I thought he did 10 and 12. Like his TFLs, that's what you mentioned. Oh, yeah, that, that might have been what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I looked through him like, but that's still great. It's just, it's one step sooner, better to get the sack. Like his, you, you, your point still stands where he had four and a half, eight and a half, or four and a half, eight and 12, 12. The sacks were minimal, but the, that's just the next progression. Like, you could still see that coming. Like, he's in the backfield all the time. Now it's getting the backfield half a second quicker to get the quarterback before he can mm-hmm. hand the ball off or make a play. But you're right with Fahoka where what he was doing, it's a bit of a, well, who's this guy? And look what he does. Yeah, and, and the interior is also not too shabby. Like, obviously, they don't have the big names in the middle of the trenches, but, you know, Jake Akiba was a pretty highly regarded JUCO transfer in, in, in the 2020 recruiting class. You know, he held his own. Lando Gray, and as part of that rotation, also played really well. And I think if you're looking for another kind of under the radar guy, like he's he's not a youngster, but you know, Noah Wright came on pretty strong in the second half of last year. He only had two sacks, but you know, they were against Nevada and Boise State in that in that conference championship game. Big, big time. And and he is six five and three hundred and fifteen pounds. Oh boy. Yeah, between between he and Kakiba in particular, that is a lot of beef in the middle of that defensive line. And, and also, so, you know, if you're looking for a guy who could potentially, you know, be a breakout candidate, yeah, I would say, you know, pencil right in or put him on your list. He could be one of those guys. Yeah, they also return ten of eleven starters, or right may not even mm-hmm. be a starter. Like he'd be no right will be potentially he'll get plenty of playing time, but they bring all those ten everybody back, they lose a nose tackle, but that's it. And the defense, like when you look at who they're playing and what they did last year, like they, they were okay. Freaking defensive player of the year. What else do you want to say? You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to, sorry, I'm trying to pull up their record here. They're like points is up, but defense player of the year. They have guys who, like you mentioned, everybody gets in the backfield. They sacks TFL. They the games like uh, what am I looking here? Nevada only 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 twenty points versus Nevada. Like mm-hmm. this, twenty versus Boise State. Sorry, I'm looking up a couple things here. Three, three to five things at once. But like the points they gave up, Aztecs they beat twenty eight seventeen. But that was when San Diego State was playing really well. Mm-hmm. Like before Greg Bell really got hurt. Like Air Force only scored six points. Like the defense did not allow too many points. Like twenty something a game. Like they their average. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm just looking at their per game. But giving up about twenty points a game is fine. You know what I mean? When you're scoring thirty to forty, almost forty, I guess. <laughs> like yeah, that's and, the I, thing. and I think offense, having, having that deep off defensive line in particular, I think it's going to make it a lot easier for the linebackers to to make an impact. And because I think if you're looking for one of those things that could potentially fall one way or the other, you know, if we're talking about regression to the mean, like what do you do when you look at some of the numbers they put up last year and they were right at the mean? And and I'm thinking particularly of like. <laughs> Of, of you know power success rate on defense and stuff rate on defense where they were right around the national average so they were they were solid if not necessarily spectacular you know 63rd and 61st respectively so with that with that with that solid and deep defensive line up front like we know Kyle Harmon is pretty good yeah right and we, and we also know that they're bringing back everybody who had any, any kind of hand, I think, save for like Trey Webb as far as putting, stringing any kind of tackles together last year. But I think you're, you, as a unit, you want, okay, we know Kyle Harmon. What do we really know about the other guys who could potentially make an impact? Because, you know, Ali, Ali Matau, 
Hadari Darden, Tyson Parker, we've seen them in stretches. They haven't been quite as prolific as Harmon. You know, Harmon had, I think, 78 tackles, and nobody else in that crew that, as you mentioned, had, had if I'm looking at it correctly, more than 34. So Harmon had twice as many tackles as the next guy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily the, the the situation that you want to find yourself in, but I think, you know, if that defensive line can wreak havoc up front, like these don't necessarily need to be all conference dudes behind him in order to be effective. I think they just need to, you know, be able to clean up in in an efficient manner. And because it could be it could be the difference between setting an set, you know, setting opponents up with like I don't know, let's say second and second and seven versus like second and five. You know, that you know, that the the former situation will definitely put this defense in a better overall position to, you know, force a punt, create a turnover, whatever. Also, should point out you mentioned their double Harmon. Number two, three, and four were defensive backs and total tackles. Mm-hmm. That probably needs to change a bit. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah, like Fahoko, maybe he'll go to forty-five tackles. Like I, that's not what you really want because they don't run that four-two-five where you have all the line, the safeties or DBs. No, they they run like a three-four. I know that's the point. Like they don't have those line, the safeties or whatever who'll come up and be essentially a pseudo linebacker occasionally. Mm-hmm. So that's an area where like more disruption up front like because what this means when you have your safeties it, it could mean it's not necessarily a bad thing it could mean your safeties are that good they can play close coverage and don't have to they're not given cushion all the time or your safeties they do coordinated safety blitzes they disguise coverages which is kind of what they what they do if you're a good team your defense isn't going to be playing every time but i would prefer to have a linebacker or defensive end have more tackles than one of my safeties who had 50 mm-hmm. that's just a nitpicking but if you look at most teams that are good, you probably you might have one DB up there, but two, three, and four, that's kind of a, not a concern, but you'd like that to maybe bring another linebacker or a tackle up higher. Yeah, almost. I get what you're saying. Hey, we're nitpicking here a bit because they were good last year, and why change too much? There you go. So we got the linebacker. Like, what about their secondary? They bring everybody back. Like, one of those guys I mentioned, Trey Webb, second team in tackles, he's back. But no, actually, said, Trey Webb went to, to the transfer portal. Oh, he did. Uh, he's a grad transfer, I believe. Urgh. I missed one thing. I apologize. I don't one but but you were mostly show. right in that everybody else is back. <sighs> Fine. Who's the secondary player we should mention? Because I was looking up some stuff on him earlier. <laughs> if you're looking for one name give me, that, give could, me. that could make the jump, it's Trey Jenkins. Why is that? Well, I mean, not only was he already a second-team all-conference defender last year. Yes. I think... You know, given what we've seen from the defense overall over the last couple of years, they've sort of developed a reputation as being very opportunistic. And so, you know, even though he only had, you know, two interceptions last year, you know, I think you could look for him to be that kind of ball hawk safety that this, that, who was it two years ago that was in that same kind of position? I'm drawing a blank. Um, We'll pass I'll look it up. Know. I'll look it up if you want to vamp for a moment. I'm not sure about their secondary defense. Um, so, like, when you look at what they did for, like, points per game and everything, like, kind of go back to that, only 20 points, which is clearly good. But what this is one area where I it's, – it's weird because their secondary for years have always been – nobody passes against them. It's – there's the one you're always in that. Under 100 yards per, per game they're allowing because their rush defense was so pitiful. This year they're actually more, like, middle of the pack. They weren't – they are fine. Like, they're almost seven yards attempt given up. They were allowing teams to make plays on them to move the ball reasonably amount, but they couldn't get touchdowns, only eight touchdowns. But then again, the interceptions, 
stuff like that. That's where they kind of need to improve because that's, I think, a defense where they bring those guys back to get all the tackles, but I think they need that area to be more disruptive and not just be what they're doing, seven yards per play, which is middle of the pack. If they're going to take the next step and repeat or be close, they got to be top a little bit better because with all this top back, even with Trey Webb leaving, that's something you'd want to see from guys who are as good as they were last year. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, like I said, it helps that pretty much everybody else is coming back. Like Jenkins, of course, is like the, I would say, the name to watch. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, Jalen Artis back, you know, he's got over 30, I think he's got over 30 starts in his career as a Spartan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nehemiah Shelton's back. He's a, he's a solid number one corner with the potential for more. And now, you know, someone like Kenyon Reed can slot in at, at, at the other corner position. You know, we saw him, I think, mostly as a, as a punt returner, but he saw more playing time as a defender kind of later in the year. You know, he could be a, a pretty I, – I, I like him. I think he could be a pretty good contributor for this defense. And even behind him, you know, other guys in, potentially in the mix, like, you know, Trey White is a senior. He's seen playing time over the last couple of years. You know, if he wins a starting role or is part of that rotation, maybe defend the slot or something like that, you know, he's not going to be a pushover. So, I mean, it may not be a defense. I, get, I think this is true of every level of this defense. It may not be a unit that's stacked with all conference performers, but I don't think it necessarily needs to be because there aren't any obvious weak links that I can see. The one thing I could see, like the pass breakups and pass defense are good. Turn those into interceptions mm-hmm. with only three because we look at total pass breakups. So the individual list of the top 50, there's nowhere to be found a singular player. They Because they have 23 breakups, 26 defended, which is good, but... They also had 16 the year before, 16 interceptions. Oh, they did? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because the secondary's always been great. It's like 18, oh no, it's San Diego State. That's the kind of thing that's very hard to predict. 13, 16, 3, because if you look at those past couple years of past breakups, it's a full year. They were last in past breakups in 2018, past defense near the bottom. 2018, um, they're more middle of the pack in past breakups and past defense defended. Mm-hmm. So those aren't always correlated, but they would like maybe break up. Give them, again, it's also a truncated season because 2019, well, they played eight games. Even 16 in 2019, they played no bowl game, 12 games. So you cut that in half, eight. They are well, even though 16 is really good, eight, you were thinking maybe five could have been done last year. Mm-hmm. Just kind of if you think if you drop down, because that is hard to predict over an interception per game. So three is underperforming, relatively speaking, for how many times they got a hand on the ball and knocked it down or almost picked it off. Yeah. 23 pass breakups is good. Yeah. Three interceptions, not so much. But again, that, 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 that's the kind of hard, that's the thing that's hard to predict, but it does correlate, which, well, is, this, which is more important. Really quick Hawaii, 30 to 12. There you huge, go. Huge. Um, San Diego State, 27 to 8. That's the point, yeah. Boise State, arguably slightly better, 21 to 3. Or then you have like 19 to 6. Mm-hmm. When you look, or 11 to 5 for Air Force. Well, the, like, the, that, top right, that top four right there tells you the entire story. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Change that a little bit, and you're going to be an elite defense. More than mm-hmm. elite. Anything else on the defense we need to add here? No, I think we're good. It's mostly everybody's back. Again, for me, Trey Webb is not back, so don't mess that up again later down the road. Oh, that happened. Sorry. Missed one guy. Um, what do we got for special teams? We already kind of mentioned 
returner anyways, right? With Sh- with Shamar yeah, Garrett. We, we, we brought up Shamar Garrett. We brought up Kenyon Reed. So I think their return game is, is above average with the potential for more. Yeah, I think, you know, unlike a lot of other teams in the conference, I think there may still be some questions as far as, you know, the kicking game and the punting game. Because Matthew Mercurio had a pretty good freshman year. Wasn't quite as effective last year, but maybe that was a consequence of the fact that they didn't really need him all that much last year. Touchdowns um, only. Touchdowns only. Right? Yeah, because he, he was he was nine of eleven, right? But his only, his longest field goal was only thirty six yards. Hmm. And, only and maybe, maybe that was more of a consequence of, of Brent Brennan and Kevin McGiven willing to be more aggressive with fourth down conversions. I don't know that that explains the whole thing, but you know they they did have 13 fourth down attempts in in eight games, so maybe that explains at least part of it. But I think if they find themselves in a situation where you know maybe they do decide to you know maybe turn a seven point lead into a ten point lead rather than trying to push the envelope, you know maybe seeing a little bit more of the leg that we saw in 2019 will will help Spartans fans feel a little bit better because I think he's he's firmly in like the top half of the conference as far as kickers are concerned. Yeah. But I think he's maybe a notch below some of the other guys we talked about in, in these previous team preview podcasts. And punter is question mark. Punter question mark. Like that that's something that seems to come up again and again every year because you know Elijah Fisher was not great. You know, <laughs> under, I mean he averaged under forty yards per punt. I feel like that's the absolute floor for an effective FBS punter. So we'll see how it shakes out. You know, Chris Wood is still around. He was more of a kickoff specialist last year. They did bring in his transfer from Michigan, Will Hart. So, you know, he's a guy that in his time with the Wolverines, he he averaged 44 yards a punt, so that might be something to look forward to. Like, that's the kind of minor thing that's sort of plagued the Spartans kind of in recent memory. I don't know how long it's been since they've had at least average punting, but that's another one of those things where even if the offense takes a mild step back, having a punter who could make up that difference is going to could potentially make them better in the long run. Exactly. It'll be fine. There's just a couple areas on that, but schedule time. Let's do it. Schedule time. All right. So we look at who they have. Do you have an FCS minute on Southern Utah University? Ooh, you know what? I wish I had the tab open. Because ah, <laughs> I, I wrote about I wrote about Southern Utah a few weeks ago, I think. Um, you can definitely check out the uh, the article in more detail. Long story short, they had a truncated 2021 spring season. Um, they were only one in five. They were not that far away from from being a little more competitive, though. Do you realize their five losses came by 15 points? Yikes. That's some hard luck right there. They do have like, – Hero Sports is also a good resource. Their top 25 returning quarterbacks, number three number, – excuse me, number 23, Justin Miller, Southern Utah University. Yeah, he's he was competent last year. You know, completed 65% of his passes, you know, nearly seven and a half yards per attempt, 15 touchdowns against four interceptions. He's not bad, and they've got a couple of quality defenders too. Give me a moment to come up with the pronunciation – Oh, good. I will say this here, uh, future WAC member also. That's true. So, you know, I guess if there's one name to potentially start thinking about now, it's their linebacker, La Akea Kaho Ohano Hano Davis. 
Good job. <laughs> he, was a, he was a long story short. He was a first team all Big Sky defender. Fifty seven tackles last year. Nine tackles for loss. Seven sacks. Two forced fumbles. He's a guy who can create some havoc if, if San Jose State's kind of sleepwalking in, in that game. Yeah, take a deep breath to say that name every time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just saying. Hey, but it'll be a win for San Jose State. So they're going to win that game. So Utah has, they had a couple years ago, they had actually two players drafted in the NFL. Yeah, like, I, I mean, it's, it's a solid couple of program. They'll get transferred to Utah or BYU occasionally, sometimes Utah State that do well. So they usually do pretty good. So then they had USC. Oh, boy. They go to the Coliseum. What, um, do they have a shot? They have a shot. They always have a shot to play the game, right? I mean, they have a shot because U.S. – I mean, the the word that I've kind of settled upon to describe the Trojans of, of recent vintage are is uh, mercurial. Okay. Because they were they were five and one last year, but you never got the sense that anybody was actually happy about it. Nope, the Arizona State game to start the year. Yikes. That's true. And they only beat Arizona, the worst team in the Pac-12, by four points. Yeah. And, they, they, and they they only beat UCLA by five. So maybe they were a little bit lucky. They got shut down by Oregon in the Pac-12 game, ended up not deciding not to play in a bowl game. So, I mean, you know, with, the, with the USC, the, it's never a question of talent because they have tons of talent on both sides of the ball. You know, Keaton Slovis, of course, is the guy everybody knows, quarterback. You know, Drake London's a very good wide receiver. You know, they've got a couple of central draft picks on on defense. And, oh, by the way, they just brought in the number one overall recruit anywhere in the country in Corey Foreman as, on the defensive lineman. He could start right away. It's just a matter of putting it all together from week to week, man. You never know what you're going to get with USC, which is which is why seemingly Clay Helton has been on the hot seat for ever. I don't know, I don't know 17 years now. It seems like. <laughs> I mean, I'm being facetious, but that's what it feels like every time you talk to a USC fan. Like they are never happy. Even though the way he, things are going, did they crush Penn State and Rose Bowl and they're still not happy? Wasn't that who they beat in a while back? Uh, that was 2016. Yeah, something like that. Right after Coach, because they didn't hire Coach O, they went with him instead. It, it might be because they got crushed in the Cotton Bowl the very next year and then lost to Iowa in the Holiday Bowl two years after that. Yeah, we'll see. But USC, they're predicted to win the South in the Pac-12. They Because Pac-12 media days next week, as well, they'll have a couple guys all-conference. This is a game where it's not going to be an easy play for USC to win. Mm-hmm. Because USC, like two years ago, lost to freaking BYU, who wasn't that good two years ago. It's a little fluky the way they lost. But... It's a team where they probably USC should win, like you mentioned, but I wouldn't be overly surprised if they somehow don't win this one. USC always seems to lose one game that they should win. Fingers crossed. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned the BYU game, the, yeah. the Cal game in 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 maybe the Notre Dame game in 2017. If you want to go that far back, they got blown out in that game against the Irish. I mean, I, I have this one pegged as a Spartans loss just because I I worry a little bit about the talent disparity. Like, I don't think San Jose is going to be scared. I don't think they're going to get blown out by, like, three touchdowns or anything like that. So while it wouldn't shock me if they came away with a win, I, like, I don't think it's, like, likely. the most likely possibility. So one good thing, this is USC's opener. Mm-hmm. San Jose State gets to play Southern Utah the week before. Yeah. Also, massive disrespect for this game. It's on the Pac-12 network. Oof. 
Oh, well, uh, I'm not going to be able to watch it then. I'll give you the FUBO login, okay? Okay, there you go. Free trial. There you go. <laughs> you got that going on again all year long. Yeah, it's a 2 o'clock local kick. I guess this must have been announced recently, but what is this? A, these two teams combined for two losses last year, and you got a conference champion. Like, whatever. It's <laughs> Out of all the non-conference Pac-12 games, is probably lower on the list, I'm guessing, for mm-hmm. who plays who. I don't know, but it's a... Do we have an early line of this game? I know it's, I know it's probably out there. I haven't seen it recently. What do you, how do you think US, USC would, or excuse me, how do you think Spartans could, would win this game? Do they have to play their best game to get to victory? They put pressure on Keaton Slovis. Okay. Because he's he's not, I mean, he's been good overall, but he's not infallible. And when he falters, that's when the Trojans are at their most vulnerable. So I think if San Jose State goes in and that defensive line plays up to its potential, you know, USC's bringing back, I think, four of their five starters on their offensive line. But it's not necessarily a given that they're going to be able to handle, you know, guys like, you know, Hall and Pahoko with without any issues at all. All right. I have the line for our buddies at BetMGM. Do you want to take a stab what the line is? I'm going to say something like USC minus 10. 16. I guess, I, you know what, I thought about it for a second after I said 10, and I realized that I should have said, like, 16 or 17. Josh, Josh, go get the Spartans to love some love in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> What's your Venmo, Josh? I'll give you a few bucks, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's that's way too many points. But, like you said, USC's going to probably win. But I'm not going to be surprised if San Jose comes in and, like, look at the offensive firepower we discussed what they have. The offensive line's back. I know the receiver crew has some slight concerns. The, the quarterback plays almost fairly even, almost. Slovis is a bit better, but not by miles ahead. Yeah. You know, I'm like my father-in-law is a, is a USC graduate, big USC fan. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of game he's going to hate watch. Because <laughs> it'll be like 21 to 16 or something, right? Yeah. Something lower scoring game. Spartans it's have going to be a good game, game, I think, yeah. I, it's going to be an underrated game, that, that's what's the case. So then they go to Hawaii, early conference game. We've not done our Hawaii preview, so we do need to discuss this a bit, Matt. But also we should note their schedule at USC, off week at Hawaii, then at Western Michigan. Plus, not easy. That's some travel there. So mm-hmm. Hawaii, who Shavon Cordier, obviously keep the Calvin Turner we all love, who is what was he uh where did he come in our all conference? I don't have that in front of me. Do you recall where he landed? I was believe he was a second team selection. At running back? Yes. Because <laughs> he plays everywhere. He was no, actually, no, sorry, I got it here. Looks like he was a third team, which is still fine. Well, you running back is stacked. Yeah, don't, exactly. don't yell at us. Greg, Greg Bill deleted that tweet, so there's that too. Don't yell at us too much, although, yeah. <laughs> he came out, came at us one minute into it, and then it was out there. He goes, wait till I rush 1,800 yards to put win, and he deleted it. It's like, dude, keep your name behind it, right? I mean, that, that would not surprise me, but we'll, we'll focus on the Spartans for right now. We, we, we will. But this is a matchup last year. What was it, 30-20, to 20, a close game? What they played last season. It's on the road this time in Hawaii. Like, I don't know why Hawaii's not getting too much respect because they can move the ball. They're, the defensive coordinators, again, I'll bring up all the time, they out-schemed Nevada by miles in that in that game to hold Carson Strong to not yeah, very I mean, many yards. I imagine we'll talk about it more when we talk about the Warriors. I think it's because what we saw from them last year was a little bit different than what we had seen from them recently. And so they, it was sort of an up-and-down season where, you know, it's hard to tell kind of where the real Hawaii – like, will the real Hawaii please stand up, I guess you would say. Exactly. 
like, you know, how real are the defensive improvements? Are they going to be able to kind of keep Siobhan Cordero from getting killed early in the game <laughs> more often than not? Yeah. You know, um, you know, what are they going to do to help, you know, Calvin Turner out at, at running back? Like, are they going to give Day Day Hunter more, more carries or things like that? You know, are they going to, are, how are they going to tinker with their run pass ratio? Because that was much different than what we've seen under Nick Rolovich recently. Which is not to say that I don't think Hawaii's going to be competitive. I think they're going to be right there with pretty much everybody else in the West Division. Like, right now, I have this one penciled as a San Jose State win. But, you know, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily going to be an easy win for them because Hawaii's got plenty of talent on it in its own right. In our group DM chat, whatever, I adamantly still stand by this. Any team but UNLV can win the West Division. There you I go. Don't think the difference, I don't think – I would put Hawaii at the lower end of that, but I would not be surprised with how good Todd Graham – like, Todd Graham, remember, he took Rice to a freaking bowl game who sucked butt forever. Like, he went to all these different programs and has always done well. That's true. So I'm not saying this year is like a huge jump to go like 10 and 2, but don't count them out in any game. I have it as a win for San Jose State. They go to Western Michigan, so they play a, a Maxpo in the Western Michigan Broncos, I want to say. Is that the correct term? Yes. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I was about to choke on something. I apologize for that. I'm leaving that and not changing that. So they go to the middle of the country. When's like the last time they traveled to go to like a Midwestern non conference game? I guess exactly. any. I guess any Midwestern game is not conference. <laughs> That's a good question because I know that we've we've had a handful of, of MAC opponents across the Mountain West in recent years. I've I've only got Phil Steele in front of me. The last one that I can see is when they went to Iowa State back in 2016. That's about as close as I can get, I think. So Western Michigan is usually a pretty good team. They're usually decent. They're not bad by any stretch. I. Hmm. Within the MAC, does the, is MAC any good anymore? Like NIU sucked it up. Ball State was really good last year. Toledo will be good. I don't think Western Michigan is going to be in that same category. Do you? Well, okay. Uh, 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 with apologies to Bowling Green. Um, oh, sorry. I, what apparently, apparently, who who are apparently thousand to one Ooh. long shots to win the to to win the MAC? Bowling Green. Yes. Okay. Thousand to one. What are you saying? You take it, you put some money on Matt and they get a text they Josh? Are pretty garbage. So, by, by, <laughs> but this is not, of course, about the Falcons. Western Michigan is pretty good, though. Yeah. Like, and we talked, we talked about Brett McMurphy earlier and, and Mountain West odds. Western Michigan is five to one to win the MAC. Pretty good. Because when you look at what they did last year, you know, they were, of course, you know, four and two, not necessarily where they wanted to be, but you know, they. Had a late, I think they had a late lead against Ball State in their finale, they lost did. by three. You know, they gave up 53 points to Eastern Michigan, even though they scored 42. Let that one get away from them a little bit. But Caleb this team, LB, this, pretty good QB. this team is, has a lot of similarities to San Jose State when you really start digging in on them. And you mentioned Ellaby. He might be maybe the best quarterback in the group of five that absolutely no one talks about. I mean, not, that's not Carson Strong. I mean, did you, see, did you see what he actually did last year? Yeah, like right here, here's a stat for Bill C where this is, um, was it QB per 100 dropbacks, I guess? Mm-hmm. I don't know what this stat really means because here are last year's top three FBS QBs per any, whatever this is. But he's basically sandwiched between Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. He has yeah, top, so just top three just receivers the, back as well. Just to throw the traditional stat line out there real quick, 1,715 yard, 1, passing yards. 65% completion rate, 
18 touchdowns, two interceptions. How many games again did they play? They played six games. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, I was trying to look at that stat. I'm like, this, I don't know what this means. I'm like, I'll just say it and sound like an idiot. But when you say he's between those two players, that's pretty good. But I mean, they, to- they are losing Dwayne Eskridge to the NFL. Yeah. But, you know, they're also bringing back literally everybody else. Like San Jose State, they're bringing back pretty much all of their offensive line. Four starters back from last year. And I think they're also bringing back ten starters on defense as well. And that is really where this game is going to hinge. Is, is whether or not the Broncos have what it takes to take a step forward on defense. Because, you know, other than their season opening win against Akron last year, you look at what they actually accomplished on that side of the ball. They gave up 38 points to Toledo in a close win. They gave up 27 points to a winless Northern Illinois team. They gave up 44 to Central Michigan. Um, and, and nobody on the team had more than two and a half sacks. Or excuse me, nobody, they had one player with four sacks and nobody else had more than two and a half. So there's work to be done on that side of the ball. But if San Jose State's not careful, if they aren't prepared, this is a team that could score on anybody in the MAC and could definitely put up some points against against the Spartans. They could also lose their top three receivers, including Eskridge, so there's that. But yeah. score, like the point thing where here's it's interesting what Bill C says too, not including their huge victory over Akron, the average score in the other five games was a virtual tie, 38.4 to 38.4. So, yeah, a lot. yeah. So, like, this could be like a fifty to forty game, or you know, I mean, like, there's maybe not that high, but mm. it could be first to thirty-five to win, first to forty to win. The and, only reason I would, the only reason I would say it wouldn't be, is that we know San Jose State's going to be a lot better on defense than Western Michigan is. Well, it's true. I just if the offense gets going with Ellaby and everything. So, plus, like, I'm, I look at this game through the lens of if I had to trust one team to make a critical stop, who would it be? San Jose State. <laughs> and that's why I have them winning this game. That's a good point. That's, but I, th- I still think they could break through and score, but I, well, it may not be like last year, but you're right. Like, whatever, the best unit, quarterback's the same. The receiving, per- returning production looks fairly similar. So like this is, this is low key one of the most, one of the games in non-conference play that I'm looking forward to the most. Alright, the Mexico State victory, right? That's a win. Okay. Then here, here's a, their big stretch of league play. St. Cl- this is where they go, which is good. Their schedule eases up. Every other week is a home and road. At CSU, host San Diego State, at UNLV, Wyoming, at Nevada, Utah State, Fresno at home. That stretch, there's no outside, like there's no, I guess Wyoming, Nevada is a pretty tough back to back, but there's no back to back games where they need to freak out about two very difficult games. Because mm-hmm. CSU, San Diego State, not terribly. I have. We discussed CSU. I have that as a win for San Jose State because I don't trust Colorado State's offense. It's almost like the game we just talked about, Western Michigan. Same. The Rams, the Rams defense will provide a challenge, but I don't see their offense moving the ball at all too much against this uh, Spartans defense. So that's a mm-hmm. win for me. I have San Jose State as a loss. I'm hesitant. and I'm going to keep it that for now. But I think what we discussed before, it's mostly because – of what the running game could potentially be. If it's what it typically is, that's where it's for any game for San Diego State. Quarterback play, which is still a complete mess. But if Greg Bell is that good and what he did the first half flash, like all those big runs versus Hawaii, and their defense is always solid, that's where I think this could be a, a tough matchup for And it's also, it, even though it's at, it's even at, um, what, what's their state? In the bank credit union, whatever, San Jose State. I started to think what it was. I'm like, I know it's C something. I don't know the how to pronounce it, but 
that's a toss-up game, but I'm leaning Aztecs just because I think maybe I trust them more and talked about it, but doing more research on the Spartans, I probably would switch back, but I don't want to make any changes right now. But that's going to be another game. If the running game goes well for San Diego State, if their quarterback play is at least average, it's going to be a tough one. See, I think the difference between Colorado State and San Diego State, and I have those both as San Jose State wins mm-hmm. versus teams that they play later in their non-conference schedule, is you know, I think to myself, which teams are going to combine strong defense with an offense that actually scares me? And I okay. think that you know, when I think of when I think of the Rams and I think of, of the Aztecs against this particular Spartans team, I don't really see it. Like I, I think that both teams will be competitive. But I, I have the Spartans winning both of those. I have them winning the, one, the game on the road at UNLV. But then I also have them losing those back-to-back games at home versus Wyoming and at Nevada. You think it's weird? I have them winning that hosting Wyoming <laughs> because because I see a little more potential in the Cowboys' offense, and and I think that Nevada will be able to. I don't think they're going to fall victim to the same kinds of kind of big play momentum changers in that game that ultimately turned the tide and that's in the second half last year. So again, all these games are going to be competitive, but I see San Jose State bearing a little better in the first half of their schedule than in the second. I do too. It's a little more difficult because Wyoming, Nevada, and Fresno State, those three of Final Four are really tough games. Mm -hmm. And San Jose State's no pushover either. That's true. And CSU probably should be a fairly easy win. I bet that could be a game where they pull away late because the defense finally fades through for the Rams. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy, but every other week home road, um, I had them losing to Nevada as well. I had them beating Utah State, but we mentioned Utah State. It's a pretty interesting team with Logan Bond and all that stuff. But anything we know, like week eight on, like you mentioned Wyoming's offense and we're optimistic. We'll know for sure how much better would be or should be or is. Actually. Yeah. Right now it's like the hope is that they'll pass more. That's their plan to pass more. But when you have arguably the best player in the conference, Xavier and Valade, why pass more than you need to? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to assume the best in these predictions, Me and, too. Then I, and then I hedge a little bit, and then I see where I and then I see where I end up. What do you got for Fresno State then? San Jose State's kind of had the Bulldogs number over the last few years, which which Man. I hate to say, but it's true. Apologies, but yeah, you're not you're not wrong. I just has a loss. We discussed Fresno a couple shows ago. I just like for because I know we mentioned defense for Fresno State, but offense, it's going to be really good. Like this quarterback matchup, Jay Kaner, Nick Starkle, pretty competitive, pretty even. The running game clearly favors, or the running back position clearly favors Fresno State, Ronnie Rivers. But we'll see what the Spartans can do with their possibly trio receiving group. Both younger guys, Fresno had a bunch of guys step up last year to play well, but I just ugh. this is going to be another one of those games like this. Like we mentioned, what games could decide the West Division? Like that, this could be one of those games potentially. Because mm-hmm. San Jose State, again, the West is going to be crazy good. But I have it as, like you mentioned last time we talked about the Bulldogs in this game, I have Fresno winning. Is that where you kind of stand on this as well? Or were you still thinking Fresno is going to get the, uh, or Spartans are get the best of them? See, to me, I think it's, I mean, you talk about the offense. The one thing you didn't mention was the offensive line. I know. Yeah, that was just for Fresno. And I think that Fresno State's fortunes are really going to rise and fall on how cohesive that offensive line is because I think if if they hold together and they're good, then you know the record that I projected for them in their podcast is, is going to be too low. But if they aren't, then this is the kind of game that San Jose State should win pretty comfortably. Do you think they're comfortably? 
I could see them winning by ten points. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't call ten points comfortable. I think it'll be. I think it'll be closer than that. But I think the, I think the San Jose State is going to be able to to keep the Valley Trophy in San Jose. Okay. I I don't know. I think the offensive line at this point, it's like with Wyoming's offense. They we will know a lot. But right now, you make good points. The reason why you would take them or not take them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they like look up and last year, Ronnie Rivers got hurt. Jake Kaner was scrambling for his life occasionally. Um, I this will be again a key. And looking at the final games of the year, like what could be like a division title type of game. That's one of the few, probably because there's a bunch of, I guess Boise San Diego State maybe interdivision games and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like just make them uh, keep them the same side. What are you doing? Why change a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Did a couple years ago. Anything else to add? Oh, I guess record wise, eight and four for me. I've three, got them at nine and three. Three conference losses for me. I have them nine and three, six and two in conference. Six and two, five and three. Do you think it's possible a, th- a three loss team could win the West Division? Yes. Tiebreakers galore. <laughs> because of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote an article about this, I want to say a week ago when we record this. Have you seen, like, the F-plus projections for the West? They're wild. It's a mess. If you want to see them for yourself, you can read the article, um, and I would further encourage you to just purchase the, the new Football Outsiders Almanac, um, yes. available both digital and in hard copy, footballoutsiders.com. Um yeah. Not a paid ad. <laughs> yeah, not a paid ad. I just it just comes recommended. I buy it every year. Um, but you know, San Jose State is definitely going to be in the mix, and so it would not shock me like if if they battle week in and week out, they take a couple lumps, and and but they dish out a couple lumps, especially within division play, and they they end up on top anyway. It's a good possibility. It's this division is gonna be so fun to watch because I, I stand by it. any team could win except for UNLV. Sorry, Rebels. Sorry, coaches. But we'll see what happens. Like San Jose State, I feel more optimistic after researching and listening to you talk about it. That might for might be touched slow because I could see them beating San Diego State and Fresno State possibly. I don't Nevada. I don't think that's gonna be the case. But like, could they win ten games? Yes. I, yeah, I'm not gonna put it out there. Likely, no. But when you look at the talent-wise of who they play, the only two teams I see that are with more talent overall is probably USC and Nevada. And Nevada is fairly close. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's where I'm sitting 8-4 because, again, as you always see, undefeated is difficult. And anything else to add? 8-4 for me, 9-3 for you? I think we're good. I think Okay, that's good. We, this show, I like how we end on a hard stop. So, all right, we're done. We're good. But – we now have three teams left. We still need to – let's see if I can get it right this time. We still need to talk Hawaii. Yes. We still need to talk UNLV. Mm-hmm. And – oh, boy, who am I missing here? I'm gonna, I'm, you were some, missing New, New Mexico. Sorry, Roger. New Mexico fans are yelling at me. It's the Lobos, you idiot. It's New Mexico. We have media day this week. We'll have another extra podcast to discuss that, even though we try to make these super timely – or timeless, I should say, to listen whenever. But we're, we're getting there, Matt. Fall camp starting soon or – Offensive, defensive team previews are coming out. Top 50 is going down. Watch list season. I have a couple of coach hot seat rankings. QB rankings are going to come out later this next couple weeks. So football is basically here. And uh, check us out, mwr.com, our website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Just search Mountain West Wire. And we'll, yeah, we'll be back next time. And like our show, tell people about it. I think we do a reasonably good job. Adequate, right? We do our best. There's a good answer because I'll mess, I'll mess up Trey Webb every so often. But it happens. We're not – the, as we say, the paid professionals. It's the off-season. We're, we're rounding our way in form. 
And when I'm looking at my Athlon for a minute and I see that, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back next time. So we'll, we'll not end on a downer. But, um, yeah, check us out everywhere. Get our stuff. Twitter, we're pretty, pretty active on there. So if you want to fight with us. It's also fighting season a little bit too, right, with all these preseason projections? Yes, it is. So it's always fun on Twitter, so we'll see you next time.